0: Hearing is a seriously underrated miracle. Have you ever thought about what is required for you to be able to hear anything? Imagine being given three tiny bones and some wisps of muscle and a ligament and then a delicate membrane and a few nerves. And then from all of that, trying to form a device that is able to capture with perfect fidelity the complete spectrum of auditory experience. Intimate whispers, the lushness of Mozart's symphonies, the the patter of raindrops outside or the cooing of a baby. Imagine the spectrum of what you're able to hear and as one acoustic scientist Mike Goldsmith has put it. Imagine what you're not able to hear. He says this, quote, if we could hear quieter sounds, then we would live in a world of continuous noise because of the random omnipresent motion of air molecules would be audible. So have you ever, some of you, you know, we don't ever pause. Praise God, we can't hear even the, quieter things because we would always be hearing stuff it'd keep us awake. Right. So he said, he goes on to say our hearing really could not get any better in quote. Now hearing is, ser- is a seriously underrated miracle, but truly hearing the word of God is a greater miracle still. What does it require for you to hear, to truly hear and receive the word of God? To hear the word of God as the word of God, you must be born again. You must be born from above. You must be a new creature in Christ. And that requires the miracle of regeneration, of being born again by God's spirit. Jesus often ended his sermons with this phrase. To him who has ears, let him hear. You have to have ears that can hear what you're supposed to hear when God speaks. And in our study of the book of James, we've discovered how Christians are to respond to trials and to temptation. And this morning, James teaches us how the Christian, how the person who's been born again, is to respond to the truth. How must a Christian respond to the word of truth? For the answer to that question, open your Bibles to James chapter one. I'm going to begin reading there in verse 19. If you're not used to looking at the Bible, chapter one is the big number one. Chapter Verse 19 is the little sentence number. You can find this on page 1011 in the Pew Bible. James is writing to Christians who are going through various trials. They've been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. These are Christians that he used to pastor when they lived in Jerusalem before they had to flee from Jerusalem. And so James is writing to these scattered, persecuted Christians suffering Christians, and let's hear now what he says to them about how they must respond to the word of truth. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Brothers and sisters, this passage, if you pay attention is all about how we respond to the word of God. Look again at your Bibles. Verse 18, there's a reference to the word of truth. Verse 21, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 23, the word. Verse 25, the perfect law. Verse 25, the law of liberty. In these verses, James summons you. If you are a beloved brother and sister in Christ, he's summoning you to hear, to receive and to obey the word of truth, the word of God, which is able to save your souls. So if you're wondering, how does the Christian, how does the believer respond to the truth, to the word of truth? James has three instructions for us this morning. If you're a note taker, here's the outline. Number one. Hear God's word eagerly. Hear God's word eagerly. That's verses 19 and 20. Hear God's word eagerly. Number two, receive God's word humbly. Verse 21, receive God's word humbly. And then number three, obey God's word wholeheartedly. Obey God's word wholeheartedly. Hear the word, receive the word, and obey the word. That's how a Christian responds to the truth. And that's my prayer. My prayer this morning is that we would hear, receive, and obey God's word. Number one, how does a Christian respond to the truth? Number one, hear God's word eagerly. Look again at verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now stop there. This is. Everything that James is going to say, he's he's writing this to believers, to those who are beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're here and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. But you need to know that these commands, these words were written to believers. And what that means is for, for these words to make any sense for you you must first understand that you are made in the image of God. You were made by God, that you and I, all of us have rebelled against our maker. We've sinned against him and in his mercy and grace, instead of just wiping us out in his mercy and grace, he sent his son into the world who lived a perfect life of obedience who died the death we deserved on the cross, who rose again for our justification, who has sat down at the right hand of the majesty. James will later call his half-brother the Lord of glory. And he calls us to turn from our sins and to trust in him. And, And it's those who trust in Jesus, who receive Jesus Christ by faith alone, not by works of the law, those are whom James is talking to right now. He's talking to beloved brothers and sisters. If none of that makes any sense to you, please, after the service, we have a potluck downstairs. There's something better for you than a potluck. That is to know Jesus Christ. I will talk with you after the service or really just talk to anybody around you that you know is a Christian. We would love for you to hear what it means to to know Jesus Christ. Because everything else that he says in these verses will not make sense If that isn't true of you initially. Know Jesus Christ. But number number one, okay, for those who are beloved brothers and sisters, what are we supposed to do? Look what he says. Verse 19, let every person be quick or swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James says to us that followers of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, are to be quick to hear his word. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second, what's he talking about? Hear his word. This verse, verse 19 especially, is often quoted as a kind of proverbial statement to help you with your interpersonal skills and your interpersonal communication. Now, I believe all of this is true. I, I think in each one of our lives it would be really good to cultivate in our lives a, a tendency, a practice to be quick to listen to others, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And you can say amen to that. Amen. We we all can improve in being listeners, in being good hearers, in being careful with our words, and also being quick to get angry. Now, don't come up after me and say, hey, what about righteous anger? Well, 99% of the time we're not righteous in our anger. So just put that to the side. okay? now, I think that all of that is true. I just don't think that's what James means in this verse. And here's why. Here's why I don't think that's what he means, especially remember the context. Context is king. Remember to take this verse and to put it in the context of what James has been saying. What has he been saying? Here, I'll only remind you briefly. James is writing to believers who are going through trials of various kinds. And they're also going through temptations. We saw this last time. And what is the one temptation he mentions? If you look in your Bibles, look what he says in verse 13. Here's a temptation you face in your trials. Verse 13, let no one what? Say, Say what when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. And then a few verses later, he's going to say, be slow to speak. (laughs) Hmm. What's going on here? This is what I think is happening when we go through trials and when we go through temptations, we often we often get into trouble with our tongues and with our tempers. And so James is is helping us in this verse to make sure, according to verse 18, that the very word of truth that brought us forth, that gave us new life in the gospel, that we are very quick to listen to that same word of truth as we go through trials and temptations. So it's not just a call to be quick to hear anybody in general I think James wants us to be quick to hear the very word of truth that he's just referenced in the previous verse. The same word of God that God used to bring new life to you is the same word you're to be quick to listen to as you go through trials and as you go through temptations. Now, some of you are teachers. Maybe some of you are teachers and you know that in order to, 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 to communicate to a group of kids, what do you have to do? If they're all just talking the whole time, you, you have to actually get them to, to be quiet first, to calm down, and then they're able to listen. And I think that's what James is getting at here. That, that in our trials, in our trials, we may be quick to say things about God, to, to get angry even with God. And James is saying here, That's not the path to righteousness because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. So, brothers and sisters, we are to go on hearing and listening to that same word that corresponds to our new nature. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. So be quick to listen to that word. Be quick to hear that word. James is saying, in your trials, in your temptations, this is your first response, if you're a believer. Hurry up and listen to God's word. That's when you need to listen the most. Look down at verse 26. You ask, "Well, how can my tongue get me in problems in my trials?" Look down at verse 26. He's going to tell us. Verse 26, "If anyone thinks he's religious and does not, what? bridle his tongue. His religion's worthless. So our tongues need to be trained by the word of truth. We need, as we listen to the word of truth, that affects the way that we use our tongues. And that, of course, if we don't bridle our tongues, it leads quickly to anger. Listen to what Proverbs 10 says. When, this is great. When words are many, transgressions are not lacking. (laughs) Now that's a dangerous verse for preachers, amen? (laughs) Amen. If you don't believe me, take your Bibles, flip over to James chapter three. Look at James chapter three. He's going to talk a lot about the tongue in chapter three. Look at the first verse. Not many of you should become teachers, my beloved. Why? For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And look what he says next. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. You see, the reason that teachers are gonna be judged more strictly, brothers and sisters, is because teachers use their what? They use their tongues a lot. And if you speak a lot, there's gonna be transgression. Proverbs 14, 29 says this, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Brothers and sisters, we... Should be slow to anger because the God who saved us is slow to anger. What has He just told us in context about our Father? When you go through trials and you begin to be tempted to say, you know what, maybe God's the one who's tempting me. James had just reminded us, oh, your Father in heaven, He's the Father of lights, He gives good and perfect gifts to your children. He gives and gives and gives. So why would you ever get angry at him? He's slow to anger with you. So James is reminding us again of who God is and and how we're to respond. So let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. What preparations do you make to hear God's word? What preparations do you make to hear God's word? How do you prepare yourself for when we gather on the Lord's day. Have you ever thought about that? If you're coming to hear God's word read and preached and studied and proclaimed, are you preparing yourself to hear it? It may be as simple as going to bed earlier. (laughs) Sometimes I look out and I see yawns. Now, maybe it's because I'm utterly boring. That that could be true, right? (laughs) Or it could be that you're tired. So if you go to bed earlier on Saturday, guess what? You might be able to stay awake during the service, maybe. Or, or here's another way to prepare. Reading the word before you get here. So one of the best ways you can prepare together as a church, we send out the bulletin on Wednesday. You could read all the passages that we're going to read before you even get here to, to have your heart, as it were, tilled up by the word, by the spirit, so that when you come, you're ready to receive it. It's not the first time you've opened the Bible. And so how are you preparing to hear God's word? Martin Luther said this, if you were to ask a Christian, what is his task? And by what is he worthy to be called the name Christian? It would be this. Hearing the word of God in faith. What makes you a Christian is that you hear the word of God in faith. And then Luther went on to say, ears are the only organs of the Christian. You begin your life in Christ by hearing the word of God and you will hear the word of God all the rest of the way. So brothers and sisters, James calls us at the outset to hear the word of god eagerly that's the first way that the christian responds to the truth we hear it we hear it eagerly but that's not the only thing he says look at verse 21 he also calls us number 2 to receive the word of god humbly to receive the word of god humbly Look what he says in verse 21. Therefore, this is another reason why you know he's talking about God's word in verse 19 and 20. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so in verse 21, James is teaching us that followers of Jesus Christ, they don't just hear the word. They receive God's word, but they do it humbly, humbly. Do you have a welcoming posture towards the word of God? Do you embrace the word of God with open arms? There's a difference between hearing something and welcoming it. That's another way to render this word receive. You can hear something. And I mean, when I was a kid, my parents used to always say, you know, we told you to do something and it went in one ear and what? <laughs> out the other, right? Well, guess what? I heard what they said, but not really, right? I, you know, clean your room. It's like, okay, it went in one ear and went out the other. I didn't receive it. I, I, I just heard audibly they, they said something to me, but I don't quite remember what they said, right? And James says, no, 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 no. The Christian doesn't respond that way. If they really are quick to hear, they also have to Receive that same word humbly. And remember what we heard earlier in the service about Jeremiah? He says, receive with meekness. Notice he says the implanted word. Do you see that in your Bibles? So don't look at me. Look at your Bibles. The implanted word. God in the new covenant has planted his word in our hearts. He's written his word, his law upon our hearts. That's the promise of Jeremiah 31. I will put my law, my instruction within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Jesus, when he gave the parable of the sower of the soils at the end, he said this. Those seeds that were sown on the good soil are like the the ones who hear the word of God and receive it and bear fruit. So the Christian is somebody who doesn't just hear the word. They receive it. They accept it. They welcome it humbly. And so James is going to spend the rest of this verse doing two things. He tells us the proper preparation for receiving the word. And he tells us the proper posture for receiving the word. Let's look at the proper preparation. Therefore, here's the negative. What do you have to do to prepare to hear the word? Put away, or your Bible may say, putting away, ridding yourselves, putting aside all filthiness and rampant wickedness. So before you can receive the word, what does James call us to put away from ourselves? All filthiness and rampant wickedness. So imagine in your minds, if you were going to, I saw a neighbor of ours is, is, uh, is getting his yard ready. He's putting down seed to, to, to help his grass look better. And before they did that part, they had to get the soil ready. And he, they, 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 they got all of the, the weeds and stuff that were there out before they could plant the, the seed in. And that's what James is getting in here. Before you can receive the word rightly, you've got to get rid of some stuff. And notice what he says. The ESV renders it filthiness. Do you see that? We're, we're to get rid of, of filthiness in our lives. And the beautiful thing, when you look these words up in old, old lexicons, this is the joy of, of, of digging around. This word for filthiness, it was a medical term in the first century for earwax. Isn't that amazing? So James is saying Get all the gross earwax kind of stuff that's in your life. Because if you won't be able to hear the word the way you're supposed to, if your ears are clogged up with all that filth. Now, I read a story one time about a guy who was a young man who went to the ear doctor because he had lost hearing in one of his ears. And he gets there. And this is going to be gross, but it's supposed to be gross. He gets there and they begin to examine why he had had hearing loss. And they discovered that basically his ear was like 90% full of earwax. That's, that's where, come to the potluck right afterwards. Yeah, that's great. Here's the point. So after the service, we're gonna have some Q-tips at the back and you're gonna receive one as you walk out. No, here's the point. You, you need to be quick to hear God's word. But, but listen, you, you're not gonna be able to hear the word the way you're supposed to if there is moral filthiness and wickedness clogging up your ears. So, so, so think about how this affects you. You can't spend the week wallowing in filth and then show up and expect the word of God to do its work. That, that we're called by his spirit to be constant. This isn't a one time. thing. We're constantly putting off the old ways, the old habits, the old manner of life, the old man, and we're being called to put on the new. In the New Testament, the image is often used about clothing that that we as Christians that were born again, and yet we still have that old clothing that we're supposed to take off and get rid of. It's filthy. It doesn't fit us anymore. We're to put on, to clothe ourselves with humility, and mercy, and love, and grace. That's what James is getting at here. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, let me ask you, what moral crud right now in your life is hindering your ability to hear the word of God? What is it in your life that you need to get rid of, that you need to throw away because it's, You see that it's getting in the way of you hearing what God has called you to be and to do. Whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever hidden sin or wickedness that is hindering you from hearing the word. James says, throw it away. Get it away from you. And if you need to talk to someone, if you need to to ask someone and confess that, confess it to God, ask him for the grace to repent and to turn from it. If you want to talk to someone, find an elder to talk to afterwards. We want to walk with you through this. But you can't expect the word to do its work in you if you're not admitting and acknowledging and confessing and casting away those areas that the word has already instructed you are morally filthy. That's the, that's the preparation. Notice the posture. Notice the posture. What's the proper posture for receiving the word? Look what James says. Receive. Notice with meekness or humility. The implanted word. I love this last phrase. Which is able to save your souls. Some of us aren't able to hear the word the right way and to receive it because of our pride. We're addressed by God in his word. We're confronted by God in his word. And because we're prideful, we shut it off. We say, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to have to get rid of that. Are you too proud to receive God's word. That's what James is asking us this morning. Are are we receiving this word, this soul saving word, are we receiving it meekly with humility, with humble receptivity? When he was only 27 years old, 27 years old, A guy named John Calvin wrote something called the Institutes, and he wrote this. If you ask me concerning the precepts of the Christian religion, first, second, third, and always, I would answer humility. What are the three things you need to know about being a Christian? Number one, humility. Number two, humility. And number three, humility. The only proper posture for us, brothers and sisters, to receive the word of God is humility. We have done nothing to deserve it. Think about the just for a minute. Think about the Bible that you hold in your hands. If you can't read Greek or Hebrew, guess what? It's translated into what English. Do you realize the gift of having a Bible that you can read? all of the work, all of the lives, all the blood that was spilled to be able to have a Bible to read. And so it should only be humility that we receive this word, this wisdom from above. We know that God opposes the proud, but guess what? He gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. So how does a follower of Jesus Christ How does he respond? How does she respond to the truth? Well, we hear the word and we receive the word. And as you receive that word, you you think, who's speaking to me in this book? Well, this is the one who's speaking. The one who is high and lifted up. The one who inhabits eternity, the one whose name is holy, the one who says that he dwells in the high and holy place, the one who says this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. That's the one who speaks to us in these pages. And so the response, the only fitting response is that you you, you hear that word and you receive it humbly with the empty hands of faith. And that leads us to number three. We don't just hear the word. We don't just receive the word. Number three, and finally, we obey God's word wholeheartedly. We obey God's word wholeheartedly. Followers of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, seek to obey God's word wholeheartedly. Look what he says in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. If we hear the word and we receive the word, but James says we don't. Put it into practice. James says, you're self-deceived. Now, deceiving others is bad. Amen. I hope we don't go around trying to deceive other people. That's sin, right? If we deceive people, we're doing what Satan does, right? He's He's a deceiver. Now, deceiving others is bad. And you know what? Being deceived is bad. Some of you have ever ever been deceived by someone at work. They say one thing, but they do something else. You're deceived. But you know what's worst of all? Being self-deceived. How do you know when you're self-deceived? That's the worst place to be of all, right? And James is going to say later on, you know, that faith without works is what? It's dead. That, That if we think that just hearing the word and receiving the word is enough, James says, no, 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 no. That last step has to happen. We don't just hear. We don't just receive. We're called to obey what we've heard and received. Jesus said this, Luke eight twenty one. 21, my brothers and sisters are those who hear the word of God and do it. James is echoing the very words that we heard the Lord Jesus say in his Sermon on the Mount. Allison beautifully read them earlier in the service. Remember what Jesus said? It's not those who hear the word, but it's those who what? Do it. It's the doers of the word. Hearing the word is not enough. We've got to put it into practice. And James gives this striking illustration. This is this is how you know James was a great preacher. He all, just, when, just when you think he's done teaching on something, he gives you an illustration. So look at James's inspired illustration in verse 23. He's gonna explain. Four, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. Now stop for a minute. What's the the illustration here? Now, back in James's day, they didn't have mirrors like we have today. In the first century, a mirror was typically made out of bronze or copper, okay? And what James is saying is that someone someone looks at himself in a mirror, okay? And and James says, okay, he looks intently, he, he leans over and glances at himself, he studies his face in the mirror, but he says, afterwards, after looking in the mirror, The guy walks off and immediately at once forgets what he looks like. So imagine you look yourself in the mirror after lunch today. Let's say you go down to Chewy's and you get some tacos or something and you go into the restroom and you look in the mirror and you notice there's this massive refried bean right there in the middle of your teeth right there and you see it. Has this ever happened to you? Maybe this, okay, maybe you don't like Mexican food, but just replace Chewbies with something else, okay? You look in the mirror, you see it, and then you're like, I gotta get that out. And then you just walk away and you forget to get it out. And the rest of your day, everyone's like looking at you like, oh man, like you've got something in your teeth, right? And that's what James is saying. It, It would be like looking in the mirror, seeing something's wrong, but then you don't do anything about it. You just walk away and you forget. And he goes on to say in verse 25, look at the contrast. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and notice this difference, and perseveres or remains or abides, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. There's the key. He will be blessed in his doing. See, the difference between these two people, it isn't that they don't. They both look. They both ponder. They both look into the mirror. The difference is the first person walks away and forgets. The second person perseveres. They, they carry that, whatever they see, they carry off that knowledge. And it shows up in doing what the word says. And I love that promise at the end. It says, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. And notice this glorious promise. He will be blessed in his doing. You think to yourself, "Okay, I wish James would get really specific. What are some specific areas of obedience that he's talking about? Well, we're going to spend several weeks looking at the areas of obedience that he's talking about. If you look at your Bibles, you just flip over. The very next verse is going to talk about the way that we bridle our tongue. And then he's going to talk about in verse 27, caring for orphans and widows and their affliction. Then he's going to talk about in chapter two, not showing partiality towards the rich, but caring for the poor. Then he's going to talk about uh, taming our tongues in chapter three. I mean, he's going to go on and on about specifics. So if you want specifics, just keep reading in James. But let me just ask you this. When's the last time you thought of your following of Jesus as, 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 a, as a way of showing someone else this is what it means to be a Christian? I'll put it this way. If someone followed us around all week long and they had one of those like cameras on us all the time, How would our lives look in comparison to those who don't know Jesus? Is there anything we're doing? Another way of putting it, if someone was going to charge us with being a a Christian, would there be any evidence to convict us? (laughs) Would there be anything that they could say, look at how they're living? Look at the way they spend their time. Look at the way that they're loving. Look at the way that they're caring. Look Look at the way that they are seeking to honor This God in his word, Christian discipleship is essentially a matter of hearing and receiving and then putting into practice what God's word says. And notice there in that verse, as we close, notice that James calls it the royal law. Do you see that he calls it the the law of freedom over in chapter two? He calls it the royal law, the law of the king. Do you think of your obedience to God's word as a form of bondage or as a form of freedom? James wants you to see obedience to God's word is actually the path of freedom. If you're a Christian, you've been set free. So when you hear God in his word calling you to obey do you know what that ought to sound like to you? It's, it's it should sound like the sound of prison doors opening. You've been set free. There's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. He's given you his spirit to live a life that brings glory to his name. He's calling you down a path of freedom. He said to us, "His yoke is easy and his burden is what? It's light." He caused us to obey because it's the life of freedom. It's for freedom that he has set us free. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that wonderful? Christ was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and he raised him from the dead for our justification. How did Jesus use his tongue? Remember, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He committed no sin and neither was deceit found in his mouth. Back on June 3rd, 1741. I don't think any of you were around at that point. A guy named Jonathan Edwards wrote a letter. He wrote a letter to a young woman. She was in her teens. She had just become a Christian. And her church was without a pastor at the time. So she wrote Jonathan Edwards a letter and said, Jonathan Edwards, would you tell me what I need to know as a young Christian? What am I supposed to do now? And Jonathan Edwards wrote her back. And this is what he put in a very short letter. Now ask yourself, what would you tell a young Christian to do? This is what he said. Her name was Deborah. He said, Deborah, in all of your life, walk with God and follow Jesus Christ like a poor, helpless little child, taking hold of Jesus' hand and keeping your eyes on the wounds and on His hands and on His side where the precious blood that cleanses you from sin and covers you with His shining robe of righteousness. Isn't that a wonderful way to think of the Christian life? Each one of us, like little children, are walking through this world and by the Spirit's power, we're holding on to Jesus's hand. He's, we're following him. And so, brothers and sisters, that's what James is calling us to. He's calling us to fix our eyes on the Lord of glory. He's calling us to, to hear his word and to receive his word. And then to put his word into practice in our lives. Hearing is a seriously underrated miracle, isn't it? No one has helped me understand this more than my wife, Allison. If you know her story, you know that she was born hearing. But then when she was about one and a half, she lost her hearing. And it was 20 years of living in this world as someone who cannot hear that she received a cochlear implant in her 20s. And for the first time, was able to hear Physical sounds again. And if you never, if you don't know about cochlear implants, she has plenty to tell you after the service, right? But here's the thing. As amazing as it is, as amazing as it is to be able to hear physical sounds. Nothing is greater than the miracle that you can hear God's word in faith. He's given you ears to hear him. He has given you a new heart to receive his word. And he's given you his spirit to empower you to live his word out in this world. It's amazing. On that day, when we see him, we will stand before our Lord Jesus Christ who gave us ears to hear. And with glorified ears, we hope to hear him say... Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let him who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for speaking so clearly in your word. We pray, Father, that we would prize what you say. That it would be more precious to us than gold, even much fine gold. That it would be sweeter to our souls, even sweeter than honey of the honeycomb. And help us, Father, not just to see it and to receive it, but Lord, help us, even imperfectly, but faithfully, to try to do what you tell us to do in the power of your Spirit, all for Jesus' glory.